She's not dead and look at us go Watching pitch perfect Twilight is torn, man, weekend is gone Watching her love rules that went by that you don't know And I can't drink her This is her time, away we go back to the season finale of Kicking It with Kendrick. I am one of your hosts, Pierre Frigon. I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeff. How are you, Jeff? I am doing pretty good. Howdy, Pierre. If this is the end of our season of Kicking It with Kendrick, there's very little for us left to do in season two. We got to just find a new person. What if we just like did a new actor like Paul Walter Hauser or something, but still called it Kicking It with Kendrick? (laughs) Just okay. I don't even know who. Do I know who that is? Who's that actor? You've you've seen him and stuff. He was okay. in he was in Black Klansman as like he was the fat white supremacist. Oh. Uh, he was in The Five Bloods. He was in that as one of the members of the group they meet in Vietnam. I can't think of that many things he's actually starred in. That's kind of cool. I, I I like the idea. Of we sh- we should do like a series on one of his actors that like you always see in a movie, but you, like, never know their name. Mm-hmm. I, I, one example for me is, like, you know the guy from um, The Zodiac? I actually haven't seen that movie yet. That movie? Oh, man. Well, I know he's in other movies. I just can't remember because he's so... Anyways. Yeah, so we, we have two movies here today. I guess this is kind of an epilogue because these are two movies where Anna Kendrick does not have a, a huge presence in. And then we're going to be talking about, I guess, wrapping up the series and some highlights, I guess. Various highlights. Heck yeah. I'm pretty excited to hear the second half of this. But I am also excited to hear your thoughts on the movie The Company You Keep. Because that's the first one we're going to talk about today. Yes. It, it is a movie directed by Robert Redford, who I previously thought this was... I never know he was a director at all. So when I saw his name in the credits, I just assumed it was his debut. Um, but he has directed before you said his first movie was in the 80s yeah and he actually won that movie actually won best picture i don't know if he won best director for it no it did he he won best director for his debut in 1980 for ordinary people oh i need to watch something i've never heard of that that's cool i mean the oscars seem to have thought it was good yeah i've heard of it before i think it's probably a classic but i am not familiar with it Mm. Well, I think we'll be the judges of that. <laughs> True. You know, so, yeah, anyways, uh, The Company We Keep, yeah, starring Robert yeah. Redford, uh, Shia LaBeouf, James Caan, who, or he has a scene in this, and he actually passed away recently, so it was, it was kind of cool to... Wait, uh, was James Caan in this? I don't see him on the cast list at all. Wasn't James... No, who is the guy... Or am I thinking about a different guy? Oh, God. Oh, this is unfortunate. Yeah, this is unfortunate. I mean, oh, that's the guy that reminds me a lot of James Caan, but never mind. <laughs> I take it back. 
I think was he, is this guy from The Shape of Water? Richard Jenkins. Oh, okay. See, I confuse them because Richard Jenkins was the dad and stepbrothers to Will Ferrell, and mm-hmm. James Caan was the dad in Elf. I think. I right? think that's okay. right. I think, and they were both like, they were both mean dads, or they were both right. they both hated Steve Car- or Will Ferrell. So okay, never mind. James Caan is not in this. I'm sorry. For anyone that got really excited to watch this movie, heard James Caan. The actual cast list of this movie is insane, though. Because we got Robert Redford starring, Shia LaBeouf, as you already said. Richard Jenkins is there. There's also Terrence Howard from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, briefly. Susan Sarandon, Brendan Gleeson, Anna Kendrick, obviously. Nick Nolte, Chris Cooper, and Sam Elliott. Weirdly enough, there are two actors that are in both the movies we're talking about today. One of them is obviously Anna Kendrick. The other one is Sam Elliott for some reason. Yeah. Okay, I'm not I love Sam Elliott in like everything, by the way. I don't mm. know why. There's just something about him that makes me feel like safe. <laughs> I mean, he seems like he would be a good dad. And in at yeah. least one of these movies, he plays a good dad. So yeah. Actually, I think in both of them. I think in both of them, he plays a dad. Yeah. But is he, like, known for... I, I first saw him in Parks and Rec as, like, the anti-Ron Swanson. I don't know if you watched that show. No, but I, I didn't. I, I know he's famous for that other stuff other than that. I just never knew him until that. So, like, I don't actually know how many Westerns he's been in, but, oh, like... But he's a Western guy. He looks like a Western guy, and he okay. looks like a cowboy. And yeah. so, like, he's best known for that kind of stuff. I know he was in A Star is Born, but I personally know him as, um, I know him specifically from The Big Lebowski and Ghost Rider, oh my where God, he plays yeah. a cowboy, like, in both of those. Yeah. His role in The Big Lebowski was so weird, mm-hmm. but I loved it. Anyway, sorry. We're getting off track. This isn't a Sam Elliott show. It's Anna mean, Kendrick. We were just talking about, like, well, I, I don't know if Sam Elliott is the best candidate, but if we wanted to do a second season of Kicking It with Kendrick with a different actor, you know, maybe we should start pitching different actors. Yeah. And there you go. There's a pitch yeah, for Sam go. Elliott. Yeah. Do you, do you want to tell us what this movie's about this time? Yeah. Uh, so the company you keep, in, in the company you keep, Shia LaBeouf plays an investigative journalist who is investigating the weather underground. Probably around 2003, the movie is ambiguous with when it takes place. It's based on a novel that takes place in modern times in 2003, but this movie itself came out in 2012. The only sign I could find in the entire movie of exactly when it took place was there's a Mountain Dew can that could not have existed before 2009. Mm. So um, I'm assuming it's around 2009 or 2012. Anyway, the point being the Weather Underground was a left-wing activist organization that existed basically as a protest to the Vietnam War. And they were a radical, uh, they were a radical accusation that, among other things, one of the things that they did, or at least that was committed by members associated with them, was a bank robbery, like near the end of the 70s. At the beginning of this movie... Susan Sarandon is arrested for basically for that bank robbery. As she's being interrogated and as Shia LaBeouf gets the opportunity to question her about it, he starts to uncover more about this case. 
and tries to kind of solve who, who murdered the person that got murdered in this bank robbery. And that leads him to Robert Redford, who is suspiciously running away from the very beginning of the movie. So he tries to like hunt down Robert Redford, who plays, well, probably the guy who's guilty in the bank robbery. And so this movie is like sort of, it's like a a journalistic thriller. There's a couple of those. And it's like, as Shia LaBeouf is piecing together the details of this bank robbery case, we're getting like him putting together this puzzle on, on the other side, we're getting Robert Redford kind of putting it together from the other side, thinking about what went wrong, what led us to those actions that we regret now. And so it's, it's very meditative and it's not much of a mystery because the mystery is solved right away. But like most of the meat of the story comes from piecing together what happened and whether or not anything that happened was or was not excusable, mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah, I actually I haven't really seen many like journalistic thrillers. Like the only one I can think of off the top of my head is like Spotlight, but I've never I've actually haven't seen that one. I think The Post is another one, but again, I haven't mm. seen it. Yeah, that's the one with uh, Tom Hanks, right? I and think Steven that one Spielberg. has Tom Hanks in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then you could potentially say Zodiac. That I, I guess you clarified you haven't mm-hmm. seen that, but that's actually a really good one. But yeah, it, I thought this was like it was an interesting type of movie to see um even if like i I think the case itself or maybe i don't know (laughs) whether to blame the script or the case but it just it wasn't as interesting as i think it kind of made you presume at the start Mm -hmm. and um there weren't that many twists and turns in it and even the twists and turns that were there just felt very I guess, parallel to, like, the themes of the movie rather than, like, focused on them, if that makes sense. Um, wait, are we are we talking spoilers at all? Uh, I mean, we might as well. I'm just going to say we're not going to talk about this movie for very long. Yeah, I guess the biggest thing was just, like, a big revelation, I think, that the movie was looking to show as, like, a big plot twist was that Robert Redford's character, Jim, had a older daughter that he had to... I guess giveaway for adoption and no one knew about her and who her who who she really was um except for like three people and then Shia LaBeouf finds out about this but then hides it even though like that twist never really felt like part of the movie if that makes sense yeah because I thought like the whole point of the movie was finding out whether he was a murderer right? but then you have this whole other twist that didn't really make sense I mean, it made sense but it just wasn't part of the main plot if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and it felt like it was supposed to be a big twist and didn't really hit for me yeah i think like the movie that i compare this to most the movie this reminded me of most is a movie that i liked a lot better called um dark water with mark ruffalo that came out i think in 2019 it's about the teflon scandal many years ago where um this lawyer who is played by mark ruffalo discovers that like the manufacturer of Teflon is basically responsible for giving an entire city cancer. Mm. And so he like is trying to piece together what happened, but like that entire movie is about finding out what happened with this chemical company and sort of putting together the whole story from the start. And the movie's not a documentary, but the point of the movie is if you go in at the start and you like don't know anything about this topic, you come out having learned a little bit of something. And with this one, 
I feel like the stuff that it says about the Weather Underground is probably interesting if you know about the Weather Underground. But, like, I don't know anything about the Weather Underground. So when I went into it, most of it was references to stuff I was not familiar with that the characters didn't seem to care as much about as other things. Because like you said, there's the multiple daughters plotline, which doesn't have anything to do with the weather underground, or at least is like very tangentially related at best. Yeah, I, I, I think like some more clarification on who they were. Like, cause to me, I could be more sympathetic, but like I, all, all I really see them as is just some bank robbers that were like, you were like, they hated the establishment, you know, as like an excuse for robbing banks. And then someone died. So it was like, well, these guys don't seem that sympathetic. And the thing is, I agree with you, but I feel like that's probably in, in like the real context of the actual world that exists. That's probably super reductive. I'm sure there's way more to them than that. This movie does not communicate that. Yeah, like they all seem like nice people. <laughs> or like all well, right people. Yeah, sure. like from what we, when we met them. Um, and they're played largely by some lovable actors that, um, you know, it'd be hard to hate them. So yeah, I, like that's the thing. It just, it doesn't feel focused. I don't really understand what the point of the movie was. To be honest, like the main theme that it seems to be kind of showing in the end is that journalists shouldn't tell the truth all the time or something like that oh right i can't remember but i think at the end the journalist ends up covering for him or something yeah he he wanted to make his big break and part of that was revealing i think was revealing that robert redford character jim had a daughter that was kept secret for 30 years and like she's the adopted daughter of like the ex-police chief or something police officer I don't know. And that would have been a huge story for some reason. I don't really see that as being that huge of a story. Mm-hmm. And But then he deleted it, I'm guessing, to protect her identity. Or no, it was definitely to protect her identity. So, But it's just like that was a very, like, I don't think that would have made his career. And I don't think, like, I just never really saw that as, like, a big motivation for him. I don't know. So Yeah. I guess, like, definitely before we move on, Anna Kendrick is in this movie. She's barely in this movie. It's functionally a cameo, but she plays an ex-girlfriend of Shia LaBeouf, who is now an FBI agent, which I thought was interesting specifically because we've already seen her as an FBI agent. So, like, I thought it was weird that she's played an FBI agent twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I liked her in her her scene. It's scenes, maybe, right? Yeah. Two scenes, I think. She's nice, but she didn't, like blow me away because with what there was she had three scenes yeah it's like a weird plot like it didn't really feel like she liked Shia LaBeouf so I wasn't under really understanding why she was helping him at any Mm -hmm. way (laughs) like I never felt like they were like oh no like I wish we could be together but I can't so I'm just gonna give you this highly sensitive information oh no she definitely seemed like she disliked him quite a bit actually yeah so I just it felt like a very yeah, Shia LaBeouf kind of kept winning for some reason, <laughs> even though no one seemed to really like him. Failing upwards. Yeah, you could kind of say that about his career, honestly. <laughs> um, anyways, moving on, I guess. Well, what would you rate this movie, I guess, quickly? I don't know. Out of 10, maybe a soft three. Like, it, I didn't like it very much. Mm, yeah, I'd say like a four. 
Maybe if you cut off like 40 minutes from this movie. Could... Maybe, maybe I'll take that soft off of there because I don't want to imply that this movie is like actively really bad, but I don't think yeah. it was good. It's just very boring or mediocre. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I should say the next movie we have is. It's called Digging for Fire. Fire. I knew it had something to do with fire. Okay. And this is our third secret Joe Swanberg movie. I don't know how he keeps making it onto this list, but here he is. He's back, Yeah, baby. okay, wait. I forgot. Why did we know him? I, I saw his name, and I was like, yeah, that, that's familiar, but I can't remember why. He did Happy Christmas, and he also did oh my Drinking God. Buddies. Oh, my God. Okay, that makes so much sense now. Because <laughs> that guy was in the same... Yeah, oh. Yep. Okay, now I'm like really mad at myself because I feel like I tricked myself up to watching another one of those movies, even though I was supposed to watch it anyways. But no, like I felt the same way. I saw this and I'm like, oh my god, it's another Joe Swanberg movie. We got this guy again. <laughs> I guess this was because I saw this. I I saw. Um, I thought Jake Johnson directed this, but he just wrote it. Yeah, I mean, pretty close. I don't think Jake Johnson has directed anything, but like. He's become more involved with writing with Joe Swanberg. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, (laughs) I really wish he wouldn't, Um, but that's okay. (laughs) Everything clicks now because I was going to make a lot of the same complaints about this movie uh, that I would have during Happy Christmas and Drinking Buddies. But um, this is especially weird because, well, okay, I'll just, I'll describe the movie this time. It's, it's a movie where I think it's like, Jake Johnson's character is name is Tim, and he's him and her his his wife Lee are house sitting for one of her yoga and clients, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he finds something in the backyard. I think it was like a was it a gun? He digs up a gun and a bone. Yeah. So and then he's like, "Oh, I kind of want to keep digging," and the wife is like, "No," but she's going to her parents' place with the sun for the weekend, I think. And then, so they part ways, and then Jake Johnson has, like, a bunch of friends over. A lot of surprising kind of celebrity cameos, I want to say. A huge amount of celebrity cameos. It's yeah. crazy, actually. I read that or he mostly casted this movie with people he knew that were willing mm. to pitch in to keep the budget low. But, yeah, he, he has some friends over, one of them, and then he kind of meets... Brie Larson's character, who they seem to get along quite well, and they start digging for bones, and they kind of, I guess, explore together. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. this kind of talk? If, if you don't mind me jumping in here, sure, I don't yes. mean to reduce Please, what you're for the love of God. entirely. <laughs> but similar to Happy Christmas and Drinking Buddies, there is an inciting incident, and then stuff happens. Like, that's really about it. There's not that much of a plot to this. This is another one of Joe Swanberg's improvised comedies. The script was entirely written, but they didn't write any words. So they just sort of went with it. Mm -hmm. And straight up, this is my favorite of the three. I love this movie. I actually really loved this movie. Oh, wow. Like, I still would not describe it as even high mid-tier in all of the movies we've talked about. But compared to the other ones, I like this one a lot because I just thought, I thought the inciting incident was more interesting. And I thought that maybe it's just that the actors they cast maybe all knew each other 
more so than they had in the other ones. But like, I felt like the chemistry worked more often than it didn't. Mm-hmm. And this has some really interesting performances from a couple of actors who are never in these kinds of movies. Like Jake Johnson is fine in this, but I think he really limits himself as an actor when he appears in movies like this, because it's something he's pretty good at, but I don't feel like he has to challenge himself in these movies. Yeah, he's very good at like riffing. Yeah. You know, he's, he's good yeah. at it, but it's it's just, it's him. Like Yeah. On the other hand, this is an incredibly challenging role for Sam Rockwell. I don't know why the heck he's in this, but he was fascinating in this because I don't actually think he nailed it with this improvisational t- style role, mm-hmm. but he's so out of his element that he is constantly just awesome to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not actually sure how many times while during the movie, I was like, that is a great performance. But there wasn't a frame of that movie that Sam Rockwell was in where I was anything less than just like fascinated with what was going on. I mean, Sam Rockwell's, that's not fair. <laughs> yes. No, I feel like no, if but... anyone casts Sam Rockwell, they're going to get an amazing performance. No, but that's exactly what I'm saying because like Sam Rockwell is great in scripted performances, right? Like you cast Sam Rockwell, you're going to get a good performance if your movie is scripted. I don't think his performance was actually that good in this movie. And I, Mm. because I think he's so far out of his element, but he's like giving such a weird performance, not, not in like a bad way necessarily, just like Jake Johnson just fits in. He just like is here in that he's he's in his element. He's just doing his thing. Sam Rockwell does not belong here, and like it's just the he's just but the in a good way. Yeah. of Jake Johnson in this movie. Yeah, which is just fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, like I, I guess looking at a lot of this, like you had Sam Rockwell, you had Anna Kendrick obviously come in for mm-hmm. a, for a couple scenes. You had Orlando Bloom, which I was like very surprised. He kind of came out of, I was a very I mean Orlando like it, I don't I, I don't think he was necessarily great in the movie but I was really surprised to see him I mean I would describe him kind of similarly to how I was talking about Sam Rockwell but he has way less screen time which mm. probably was good for him as an actor like I think that he also feels very out of his element here and he does pretty admirably in his scenes but he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of them mm. so like he doesn't have to pull quite the same weight that Sam Rockwell is just sort of just sort of has forced onto him. Mm-hmm. That's fair, yeah. I mean, I haven't. I feel like I haven't seen him in a movie in forever, so it was just kind of cool to see him on screen. That mm-hmm. that wasn't like a Pirates of the Caribbean role or The yeah. Hobbit. <laughs> so yeah, I see what you mean. I I think like definitely like there was some interesting stuff going on here. I just wish there was. It's just the same complaints. Like I wish there was. I thought that that bone gun scene was like i thought i guess i thought it was going somewhere if that makes sense i presumed it was going somewhere Mm -hmm. um but it doesn't the whole movie is just kind of an exploration of i guess wandering feelings while you're in a relationship very similar to drinking buddies honestly which jake johnson was also in yeah is that you have like the the couple are separated for like a weekend and they have like some like i wouldn't say they were they were fine in their relationship, but like I feel like a couple of them had doubts, obviously. This movie very early on introduces some very, very, very basic tension into their relationship. Yeah. In a real scenario like this, 
it would be very strange to expect that the relationship breaks apart by the end in a movie. It's kind of a toss up because like movies can snowball if that's what you want to do. But like they have a very brief argument at the beginning, barely even an argument, just they're a little bit upset at each other. Yeah, it, it never felt like this felt like normal couple things. Like this wasn't like, yeah. I think that's one of the, the positives of like a Joe Swanberg movie like, that I like is that it, you can see some of the ugliness without like making a big deal out of it, if that makes sense. Like it's normal. Mm-hmm. You know? One thing that I actually like that I, I don't know how much of this is true. I read this mostly on Wikipedia, but a little bit of the behind the scenes Brie Larson is kind of introduced into this movie as like a potential in in a different movie in a more scripted movie. She would be like an alternate love interest for Jake Johnson, but behind the scenes, she was like, my character would not be sexually attracted to this man. And so they like, just didn't explore that that much. It's not not there, but it's not like, it's not like a big thing, which I thought is just kind of interesting because, you know, this movie could have, gone in a much more catastrophic direction and it just didn't because that wouldn't have made sense yeah so i i don't know i i can see why you'd say this is the best one i think i I felt the most chill if that makes sense Mm -hmm. i think a big problem with like last christmas was i had it has a very similar like i guess concept it's just last christmas was just really boring like it was just dreadful to watch i don't know how to say it like it was just like depressing like the yeah. way, like everything, like it was shot very like poorly. Like the colors were very desaturated, and everyone just seemed depressed, right? Yeah, and like kind of similar with Drinking Buddies. Like everyone was in not the worst place they could possibly be in their lives, but it's just really uncomfortable watching a bunch of people who are not in a good situation deal with that situation that isn't good that I don't want to see. And this one was just like a bunch of people hanging out, which, you know, there are much better movies about a bunch of people hanging out. But generally, this one wasn't like, it didn't feel messy and also depressing. It felt a little bit messy because that is the nature of this genre. Mm -hmm. But at the end of it, it was like, everyone's fine. Yeah. Except I think Sam Rockwell might have cut himself or something. Oh, no, that was Orlando Bloom. Yeah. Wait, was that like real? I don't know. I'm sorry, you made that sound. Okay, so you sound, made that sound like he actually like hurt himself on set. I mean, like, I wouldn't be surprised. It clearly wasn't something that has had debilitating effects on his life afterwards. Yes, but like, true. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually cut himself because that's that's the nature of these movies. They just sort of go with the flow. If yeah. someone were to cut himself, well, then we make the next scene dealing with that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I just... I like the concept of it, but it just felt to me a lot like Drinking Buddies in terms of, I, th- I, I feel like it made me uncomfortable in terms of Jake Johnson's character and the other, his wife, I can't, sorry, I can't remember, Lee, I guess. Uh, Her name's Rosemary Lee in the movie. DeWitt is the actress's Rosemary name. Rosemary DeWitt. Yeah. They both, I, I feel like, kind of aren't doing the, the best thing morally, like, because I thought it seemed like they were in a healthy relationship. But, like, she made out with Orlando Bloom, and then he was spending a... I mean, nothing weird happens with him and Brie Larson. But they were, I guess, doing a lot of things that, you know, potentially could be seen as weird, and you'd think he'd want to tell his wife. But I guess that's the point, too, is that... I don't know, like, it's just weird. It, it makes me feel just odd, and I don't really know, understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I guess, again, is the point of his movie, so... He's doing a good job, is all I can really say. 
Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, but again, like, he's getting the point across. Do I necessarily enjoy his movies? No. Do I respect them? Sort of. Yeah. I respect that he's got something he enjoys doing and that people seem to like doing it with him. Yes. I really wish that... I don't know. I don't like this kind of movie. Like, I don't like this kind of improvised drama that's about nothing. That is just, that's just an excuse to pay your friends, like, a bunch of money. I mean, I don't know. I'm maybe a little more cynical about it than I should be. But I just feel like... I feel like movies can be about things. And I wish that Joe Swanberg would occasionally do that. He doesn't have to always do that. Clearly, he's got a niche. But yeah. like, it just feels like, I don't know, when you've made 20 movies and none of them are about anything, I really wish there was a 20, that the 21st one would be about something. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the biggest problem for me is just that I feel like I'm just watching shitty people sometimes just do like things that aren't okay, but the it's like the movie wants me to think it's okay. You know, it's like, because mm-hmm. in Joe Swanberg movies, it's like, it's supposed to be saying, like, this is normal. It's fine. Like, this is light, you know? And it's like, no, not really. Like, in Drinking Bodies, like, everything that was going on there was pretty, like, that would not fly normally, if that makes sense. I mean, like, A Drinking Bodies is about two, or you could even argue four very toxic relationships. And it's like, these relationships actually aren't okay. Yes, they happen occasionally, but, like, this doesn't have to be life. Yeah, like, I, I think, yeah, it's, it's just, if you want to make a movie about nothing, then I guess make it more, make it more about nothing? I don't know, like, because it's like, he's doing both, where it's like, again, that that was a movie about toxic relationships and the confusing feelings in them. But it also treats it like a movie about nothing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like that's, like, a weird compromise. I don't mm-hmm. know. Anyways. What would you <laughs> would you rate the third Joe Swanberg movie? I mean, I'd give it, like, a done. soft 5 out of 10. I didn't hate this one. Still didn't like it. But I would call this one my favorite of the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd definitely say this was, like, the easiest one to watch. Mm-hmm. But would I would I purposely watch another Joe Swanberg movie? No, and I I desperately hope I'm not <laughs> tricked. In, not I'm not saying you tricked me into it, but we neither of us knew. Yeah, I don't know who to blame for this one. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy. I guess I'm happy I watched it, but you know, it's a it's a process. Anyways, yeah, I I give this like a like a four or something too. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. I want Joe Swanberg to make something that I find interesting for him to have made. But like after seeing three movies of his and they're all kind of the same thing, I'm like, well, is Win It All really going to be any different? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. That's two small movie reviews, but when we get back, why don't we talk about the entire career of Anna Kendrick? Sort of summarize what we've learned. Sure. 
Greetings, we're Technically a Conversation, a podcast for curious people by curious people. Every week, we take turns presenting a new topic, and the other host has no idea what the topic will be. We strive to educate in a way that's loose and fun. Our topics are all over the place, from light and funny to dark and sometimes spooky. Some of the topics we've covered include urban legends, civil rights activists, vampires, pop culture icons, the supernatural and occult, spies and espionage, science and astronomy, and other weird and random things. If any of these topics interest you, give our podcast a shot. Listen and subscribe at technicallyaconversation.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parental advisory, we might use strong language. Welcome back to part two of the grand finale of Kicking It with Kendrick. Now we're going to talk about, I guess, the summation of, you know, the series as a whole, as we kind of part ways with Anna Kendrick for now, unless she makes more movies in the future, which she will. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to come back. I've already promised that we're going to come back for Alice Darling when it Mm -hmm. comes out this year, but Mm -hmm. we don't know when that is yet. Yeah. And, you know, she's young, so I'm sure will have more roles in the future oh yeah well i mean like she's just i don't know about just starting but she's getting um more and more starring roles because like she's the lead in alice darling she's now got a franchise on her hands again with a simple favor which is a weird movie to franchise but she's the lead in it so Mm -hmm. heck yeah she was specifically hired for Noel, which, you know, for better or worse, but like they clearly thought of her first. So, you know, she's she's a name. Yeah, she's getting places, potentially. The Anna Kendrick Grant, and I'm sure this show will help raise her relevance. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> Speaking of which, Anna Kendrick, if you are listening to this, come on. We'll find movies to talk about. You can talk yeah. about any ones you've been on. We can talk about your favorite movie. Just come and kick it with us. Kick it with you. Yeah. Anyways, I believe we have three movies each of, I guess, our own highlights. Or th- movies we want to talk about desperately. And then we kind of made a category to fit that. Yeah, so I just kind of figured that like, if we're wrapping up this whole series, one easy question to ask would be like, what are your three favorite movies? But when I say easy question to ask, we answer that in almost every single episode. Because every time we ask that of our guests, like it comes up, which ones are my favorite, yeah. which ones are your favorite. It's not an interesting question. So instead, I wanted to say, like, first off, we do want to talk about our specific singular one favorite Anna Kendrick movie. But then two other ones that you just want to talk about, like two movies that stuck with you for some reason. Because for me, you know, my top three are not necessarily going to be the three that made the biggest impact on me. 
So yeah, you know that's that's sort of where I was going or yeah, where, okay. where where we came where we got with that. But yeah. So Jeff, what is your favorite Anna Kendrick movie? Oh gosh, start you intercepted off. me. But <laughs> let me start it off. Uh, yeah, my favorite Anna Kendrick movie, uh, which I watched for this show, is definitely up in the air. I had already liked it when I saw it way back when. Uh, at the time, I was not really familiar with Anna Kendrick, so I, at the time, would not have watched it for her. I remember watching it when it came out, and I thought it was really good. And then I rewatched it this year uh, for this show, and I was blown away, not just by how good it was, but how well it holds up. And I always think back to when we were talking to Rachel and Dakota and Rachel like talks about how meaningful up in the air was to just an entire generation of people. And I think that like, I'm certainly not the first person to say it, but it's rare that a movie like that can come out that so perfectly embodies a time while during the time that it's coming out. Like, that was, I think that movie was what, 2009? And it was like the perfect 2009 movie. And even looking back on it, like I'm just a little bit younger than the people who were directly affected by the recession in 2008, 2009. Mm. Like people just a little bit older than me and even kind of myself, we can look back on that and go, oh man, that actually was such a huge deal. And this is all about that. And it really reflects that, reflects how huge a deal it was, even at the time. It's probably the closest movie that we watched from all of these that to something I would consider perfect. It's mm. so it's it's so good. And that was the one where she was nominated for an Oscar. So like clearly I'm not the only person whose favorite Anna Kendrick movie that is. <laughs> but that would definitely be my number one. Yeah. I think it's I mean that I think that would also be like I think the best movie definitely for me mm-hmm. I'm gonna pick a different favorite movie just be, to make it interesting but yeah I up in the air was I, I really kind of almost wish we got I think there could have been two there's like a multiverse of Anna Kendrick like ways <laughs> there's the ways her career could have gone um I think in a world where she didn't get pitch perfect because I feel like pitch perfect really created almost like a a stereotypical character for her. Mm-hmm. She could have had a lot more dramatic roles. And mm-hmm. I think Up in the Air was like a really great example of what she can do, um, but she never really gets roles like that, especially mm-hmm. not now because I, I think she's been typecast as herself, which is weird, but <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. But yeah, I, I Up in the Air is like an amazing movie. She, she was great in it. I, mean, my, I think my favorite movie, I'm going to say Pitch Perfect 2. Nice. Uh, ironically, like I think it is what, in a way, kind of shifted her career in a lot of ways and solidified it. This, I feel like the Pitch Perfect franchise is, is really what made her almost like a household name in a lot of ways. Yes. And that's, I think, the biggest reason we're talking about it right now. Um, and I think Pitch Perfect 2 was definitely kind of like, in my opinion, like the peak of that franchise. A lot of people mm-hmm. will say 1 was better, 2 wasn't great. I, I think 2... I just liked more because it ditched a lot of, like one had way too many coming of age stereotypical like things going on. I think two just kind of felt like much more of its own thing, much more mm-hmm. about music. And it was like a lot more funny in my opinion, except for the first scene. I don't like the first scene where yeah. she flashes Obama. I thought that was very forced. But other than that, I think it's a great movie. Yeah. I think the first one, like 
the first Pitch Perfect works really well. And I think personally, as a movie, I like it a little bit better than the second one. But the first one doesn't really know what it wants to be yet. And in the second one, it knows exactly what it wants to be. It wants to be a parody and it does it really well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think that like, as soon as it found its identity with that second one, that is, I, I guess it's arguable whether one is better or two, but like two is really where that series found its identity. It's, mm-hmm. it's a shame that there's only three of them. And the third one is strange, <laughs> but yeah. I did not mention three for a reason. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I honestly think it's like a pretty good franchise. And I think watching the process of watching those movies as a whole was probably like the most interesting part for me. Mm-hmm. Just because it felt like this this is Anna Kendrick. This is who she was built as a, as a brand, I guess, to the general audiences. And it's kind of what we've been getting since. Just kind of like yeah. discounted versions of it, in my opinion. Also, uh, maybe... This is this is maybe a weird comparison, but we've already made it, so I'm going to make it again. I'm going to probably always associate the Pitch Perfect series with To Pimp a Butterfly now. And To Pimp a Butterfly <laughs> is also kind of where Kendrick Lamar comes into his own. And yeah. like, uh, so, you know, there's there are actually interesting parallels between Pitch Perfect and To Pimp a Butterfly. It's a super weird parallel to draw, but like, I am very happy that we ended up doing that because... You know, I love that album, and now I'm always going to associate that with the Pitch Perfect series, just a yeah. little bit. Yeah, I'd definitely say they both peaked in 2015. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, that's that's my personal favorite movie. All right. Even though I wouldn't say it's the best. That is a good pick, though. And, like, yeah, I mean, favorite movie doesn't have to be the best. That's why we have favorites. True. For my second movie, I picked the movie that made the biggest impression on me, which uh, is Happy Christmas by a Mr. Joe Swanberg. Oh my God. God, I hate that movie. But like, you know, I bring that movie up like every three episodes. Dakota from ContraZoom has like, he keeps like calling me on it in like private messages and stuff. He's like, hey, there's Happy Christmas again. And I'm like, damn it, you're right. So like, I I bring that movie up a lot. And I think it's, I mean, it is because it really did make an impression on me. I don't like it very much. And I think that, you know, we've already talked about my issues with Joe Swanberg once this episode, so I won't dwell on it too, too much. But I think that movie is pretty fascinating, actually, because it's not the first improvised drama that has ever existed, but it's probably the my introduction to, like, the improvised genre style, basically. And I think Anna Kendrick really nails it in that. I think she's very good in those. I'm glad she's not in that many of them. Because I think if she was, she would end up a lot like Jake Johnson, who I like a lot and is good in those movies, but never really feels like he's excelling. Like he never feels like he he feels like he could do more and he's doing what he's comfortable with. And Mm -hmm. I think that those improvised dramas, they feel like they're a lot of fun for actors to work on. And actors who are good at those feel very comfortable in that in, in those scenarios. And I think that's cool. And I think it's really interesting to see actors who are comfortable in those roles. And I think Anna Kendrick is one of those. I just am also glad she's not in that many more of them for several reasons. But like, I think that like, the more I think back on Happy Christmas, the more I am sure that I don't like it, but the more fascinating it is to me. Like I think back on it and I'm like, this was actually a really interesting movie. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, say what you will about Joe Swanberg, but he is definitely one of a kind. Yeah, and he seems like he seems like he's really fun to work with, which I can guarantee you can't say about every director. Yeah, he has a lot of people that seem to want to continuously work. I mean, Jake Johnson is like a good example, but like a lot of, yeah. like for example, a lot of like a couple of the, like Anna Kendrick came back for Digging for Fire. Um, I'm guessing mostly... Melanie Linsky's been in multiple of them. Who? Uh, Melanie Linsky. She was in oh. a couple of his movies. Oh, okay, so like, okay. I, thought, yeah. I said Monica Lewinsky for a second. I was like... No, not quite. What? Okay, yeah. I mean, that's honestly, that's one of the biggest strengths of a director, too, is creating an environment where your actors feel comfortable and working mm-hmm. in. And from what I can tell, yeah, it does a great job of, of doing that. So, yeah, that's probably that's I think that's the only reason he's he's still getting work is because he, he probably just works very well with other people. <laughs> yeah, clearly he's awesome to work with. And yeah. like, I think one of the things with this series is, you know, in our previous series, we were talking about Leonardo DiCaprio, who has award after award after award. But like, when we're talking about Anna Kendrick, she's a much more low-key actor. So we're looking at very different things when we're looking at her career. And I think it's, I think Joe Swanberg is actually an interesting sort of mirror to that. Because, you know, when you look at Martin Scorsese, you're examining, you know, how he crafts, like, a meticulously scripted, like perfectly shot, perfectly edited movie with exactly all the right needle drops. Like mm-hmm. it's a very, it's, it's a really big process where Joe Swanberg, much less meticulous in his putting together his movies, but like also, and you know what? If Joe Swanberg is listening to this, here's the part where I compare you favorably to Scorsese. Also an incredible director because people just want to work with him. And, like, people want to work with Scorsese, but, like, people who have never met Scorsese want to work with Scorsese because they look up to Scorsese. Mm -hmm. Joe Swanberg seems to make an impression on people that makes people want to come back. And that's also really important for a director. It's just not something we think about all the time. Having good co-workers is awesome. And, like, being a good co-worker is just as important of a skill as being good at your job. Or, like, Mm -hmm. being not being good at your job being like quote unquote the best at your job yeah so yeah we can't discount that good job joe swanberg i'm sure i'd love to hang out with you i would not want to would not want to watch a movie with you though. if joe swanberg wants to come on this podcast you're also invited yes (laughs) i i can totally just see him coming on and then just completely like picking apart all our criticisms or something you know what like Like, that'd be fair yeah (laughs) I would I would be sad about that, but I get it. Yeah. It would make good content. So for my I guess my category is this is kind of a weird I, I chose like just kind of wackiest Anna Kendrick movie. Cause she's in like a lot of like normal stuff, but there's a couple movies here. I'm gonna well there's there's one movie especially, um, Life After Beth, that I can't remember watching a movie and just being so genuinely like it's not a good movie, but I was just so fascinated by what was happening on screen that I was just like, it, it was like amazing. I don't know how to say it. Like I was watching it with like a couple of my friends too. And like, none of us could believe what we were watching. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I think like, in like, is it a good movie? No, probably not. But was it an interesting watch? Definitely. I um, mean, I think in a way that makes it a good movie. So 
and I, I mean, Anna Kendrick's not in it that much. So to balance it out, I also chose Mike and Dave need wedding dates, mostly for her because I thought that was her freakiest performance in terms of, I think she really, really pushed herself to kind of break the Anna Kendrick brand almost in a way, right? Yeah, I think that like, what's cool about that one is as you you said earlier that like pitch perfect kind of typecasted her and i feel like she was hired for mike and dave need wedding dates because of that typecasting and then she took it in a completely different weird direction than Mm -hmm. she normally would yeah well i think like pairing her with aubrey plaza i think aubrey plaza i mean as we saw in life after beth she, she she always turns in a very interesting performance Mm-hmm. And then just pair. I think pairing her with Aubrey Plaza, I think really kind of, I don't know if it was like that chemistry or like they really kind of took her out of her her zone, right? Mm-hmm. And I honestly like if Mike and Dave needed wedding dates was actually like a great movie. <laughs> she might have broken out of the Anna Kendrick typecast mm-hmm. and been able to you know look into more comedic, like serious comedic roles, you know? Yeah. And like could have like really opened up her her range of casting. Because I yeah she really pushed herself and I appreciate that from her. It's just the movie wasn't that good, so mm-hmm. it kind of I wouldn't say it backfired because I think it was cool to see her like that, but it definitely didn't open up any new avenues. Like people aren't don't want to see that Anna Kendrick because you know it wasn't presented in a great way, which is unfortunate. If I'm sort of interpreting your first two picks right, in an alternate universe of Anna Kendricks, we have an Anna Kendrick whose career is currently at the level of Jessica Chastain because she broke out with Up in the Air. Mm -hmm. And we have an Anna Kendrick whose career is currently at the level of John Cena because she (laughs) broke out with a comedic performance that really knocked everyone away. Yeah, I think we're, unfortunately, we're in the worst timeline for Anna Kendrick. But, you know, hey, maybe she'll pick it up in the future. But, yeah, I think if she ever had a chance to break out of what she is now, it was those two movies. Life After mm-hmm. Beth doesn't really count because that was... I think that she was only in it for, like, two scenes, right? Something. But I also noticed about both of those movies, they're both Aubrey Plaza. Like, they're both movies where she's uh, that she's in with Aubrey Plaza. I kind of think those two bring out the best in each other when they have the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. Like, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates is the best, like... Uh, example of that because you know whether that's the best performance either of them is given or not they're constantly bringing out better and better performances out of each other and I definitely hope that they get the opportunity to uh, collaborate again because Mm -hmm. I I think they work really well together and Aubrey Plaza most recently has been in more dramatic roles Uh, this year she was in something called Emily the Criminal and it would be interesting to maybe see Aubrey Plaza and Anna Kendrick together in a dramatic, in more dramatic roles. Cause like clearly they worked together as a comedy duo or like they could work together as a comedy duo, but like, can they do the same? Can they replicate that same success in a more dramatic role? Because they're both clearly able to turn in good dramatic roles too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting. But unfortunately, Anna Kendrick has been typecast. So. Well, I guess she was. She's she's had a couple dramatic, more dramatic. Like uh, Stowaway was kind of a dramatic movie. Yeah, um, just didn't really have anything to do in it. So, I mean, she did. I guess she did, but also she didn't. It was it was a weird movie. Anyways, we're not talking about Stowaway. This is <laughs> I'm not let, letting that be on the highlights episode. <laughs> it with Kendrick. I mean, I could. I'm not though. I'm not going to talk about Stowaway. <laughs> <It's> like, My <laughs> watch. So, 
my uh, my third movie is actually one that we didn't talk about because it is an episode of a TV show. But I wanted to highlight it because there's not there hasn't there wasn't a good point to talk about this on the show like in detail. But I did watch it because I found it somewhere and it was really good. So the thing I'm talking about is called the Spirit Box. And uh, do you remember when we talked about else uh, elsewhere? You gotta remind me what that was. What, it what was a while ago. That? Uh, elsewhere was the one her friend goes missing, I think. And so she like is trying oh, to figure out it's like a crime thriller. Kind kind of. And it ends in the bus, right? Like the bus. I she's in the bus, so. school bus, and like the yeah. murderer is there. Yeah. The, like the dad's the murderer, right? Yes. Like the, her friend's dad. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that was like the closest we got so far to Anna Kendrick in like an earnest horror movie. It wasn't that much of a horror movie. It was really more of a thriller and it wasn't that good. So like, you know, that that version of Anna Kendrick died on the vine right there. The Spirit Box was around the same time. I think it might have actually been the same year. And this was an episode of an anthology horror TV show that's actually really good. So first off, she, she gets to play the... Um, she's the lead in this episode. And it's about her and her friend. Basically, they like find a Ouija board and they accidentally summon their old friend who is dead. And then like Anna Kendrick is haunted by this ghost for the next 45 minutes. Except like a big part of it is, you know, we don't see the ghost because this is on a TV budget. So, you know, they're not showing a ghost. But a lot of the whole point is like, is she actually being haunted by this ghost? What's happening? Is her friend around like... Or is there something sinister going on? Is there perhaps a more logical explanation? And spoiler alert, there is. But I basically think that everything that Elsewhere wanted to do as a horror movie, the spirit box does, and it does it really well. It does it really well for a 45-minute TV show, but like, there is a version of Anna Kendrick out there who can be, who like, I don't know that Anna Kendrick would ever be good as a, scream queen but there's a version Mm. of anna kendrick out there that could do these little horror thrillers really nicely and i think the spirit box is the closest we ever get to that but it was on a tv show that did not really pan out like the tv show ended after one season and the only other thing we got was elsewhere which i don't know if anyone has seen besides us so (laughs) jeez but uh we had to watch it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like that is an episode of the tv show called fear itself uh the episode is called the spirit box if you have the ability to watch it i definitely recommend it it's very short it's only 45 minutes and like apparently it's been on netflix occasionally it isn't currently at least not in canada but like maybe you'll find it on netflix maybe you'll find it somewhere else it is worth your time if you Never do get it. the chance to watch it Mm. yeah i haven't seen it so i can't really say anything <laughs> sorry that's okay i yeah. just thought you know there's we haven't had the chance to talk about that one movie so i'm like i want to just true. highlight this movie's also good yeah i'd say okay so my last category is the best anna kendrick casting for a movie or i guess the smartest and that would probably be a simple favor just because i think it it's the movie that took the Anna Kendrick that we stereotypically know, right? Mm-hmm. And just kind of use that, like that 
preconception and really turned it against you or turned it around in the movie, which I think really helped make the movie work mm-hmm. and make it a lot darker. Because Anna Kendrick, you know, we, we, we kind of see, I mean, we can even see like Disney casted her as, as Noelle recently. So like she just has this like very vibrant, fun, family safe presence. Mm-hmm. that this, a simple favor kind of took that packaging and it was just like, oh, perfect, we're going to put her but in this movie. So it was like she she was Anna Kendrick, but everything else in like a, a worse world, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie was so effective and it because of that and it only would have worked. I can't think of many other actresses that would have worked as well uh, as as with her. Um, I think I said that right. And uh, so, yeah, I I think, you know, I think she's had, you know, obviously better movies and she's had maybe better performances, but this was very smart, efficient casting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely can't imagine anyone else in that role. I, the movie would be entirely different. I think that like, yeah, yeah. You, I don't know. At this point, I'm just going to be repeating everything you say. I agree completely. That's Perfect. a really smart casting. So yeah, that's great. Do we so, want to? I, I kind of want to. I want to see what was your least favorite movie, really quickly in the whole series. I, I think it's the same. Oh, get a job, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. I think that like I, I liked get a job less than the Mark Peace experience because I didn't even think get a job was interestingly bad. The Mark Peace experience is really bad. Yeah, but it's, I was the Mark Peace experience. But it's also so weird in how bad it is. Like on paper, the Mark Peace experience should be on paper, the Mark Peace experience should be like perfectly cast and should be at least enjoyable. And it's not really. Like it's enjoyable in how bad it is. Where I with Get a Job, that was not enjoyable in how bad it was. Oh. I think get a job while being bad was at least like I I could watch it, you know, like if someone told me to watch get a job right now and they'd pay me like 10 bucks, I'd be like, okay, like, you know, like I'm not going to feel anything. So I can just sit there. Mark Pease was just like a a genuinely dissatisfying experience and you could not pay me a hundred dollars to watch that movie again. So no, I, I think I get that. Yeah, I, I think I get what you mean in that. I think Mark Pease was just so insanely bad. You're just like, wow, that's fascinating. Whereas mm-hmm. Get a Job was just like extremely, utterly like mediocre. And yeah. doesn't really do anything. But yeah, I Mark Pease was just yeah too much for me. I think with both of them, like if, if we're talking about a theoretical person who's going to pay me to watch movies, you could pay <laughs> me to watch either of them because there was at least something that I if nothing else, really enjoyed watching in both of them. In the Mark Mm. Peace experience, I really liked Ben Stiller's performance. I can understand why he didn't want that performance to come to light, but like I did really enjoy it. Mm. And in Get a Job, I really liked Bryan Cranston's performance. So like, there's something I like in both of them, but I thought they were, I mean, those are the bottom two for me. And I guess I have them in the opposite order as you. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know if Get a, a Job is straight up my second least favorite, but it might be. Mm. I'd, I'd, I'd have to rewatch it to make sure, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So, so what else? Anything else that you've learned during this series? What do you think? I feel like 
in a way, this show was like a tra. <laughs> that sounds so sad, but it was like a tragedy because the farther we get along, I just I feel like she has so much potential, especially after watching Up in the Air, you know, watching the Pitch Perfect series. She has charisma. She's a solid actress. She even has like her own brand, you know, like she mm-hmm. is recognizable. Like if someone said Anna Kendrick, I feel like there are characteristics of an Anna Kendrick character that you can just like feel or name off the top of your head, you know? Yeah. Like very innocent, warm, caring, you know, fun, jovial. Most people that I've talked to, and like maybe I just talk to people who know movies more than the average person, but I don't even think that's true. Like most people I've talked to are familiar with Anna Kendrick and can sort of piece together what they think a performance by her would look like, even if they haven't seen that many movies. Yeah, she's she's like, I don't know, she's like a household name. She's like mm-hmm. the one of the least famous household names you can think of, if that makes sense. Because yeah. it feels like everyone knows her, but no one like actually like likes her, you know, or actively follows her. Mm-hmm. And it's very confusing because I, yeah, I think if she picked her roles more wisely and didn't, like, I don't know if this was an agent problem or what, but if she picked them more wisely and was maybe more selective, she really could have built her career into something more special. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now, I I feel like she coasted off, like, the success of Pitch Perfect and just took a bunch of roles and that many roles really diluted her brand, I guess, and who she was. And that lack of like quality control on like what she was picking, I think, has taken her from kind of a star to something that people will be like, oh, Anna Kendrick's in this. You know, rather than yeah. she's like top build and like even though we saw that with Noelle, but Noelle Noel felt like the epitome of this is all her career is now where she can get a role just because like people know her, but it's not going to be a good movie and it's not going to be a good role. And I don't think she could get a good movie or a good role anymore just because of what, how many movies she picked. I don't know. I would be a little more, I think I might be a little more optimistic than that, but I see what you're saying because there, it seems like at, it seems like she's had several places in her career that seem like key moments And I don't know that that necessarily means, I don't think that means that like, you know, she didn't pick the right movie after Up in the Air and therefore her career will never be back at that point or anything like that. But I think like looking back at her entire filmography, you can see the potential. You can see that she's an actress with an incredible amount of potential if for dramatic roles, comedic roles, and in different ways too. Like she does have a brand but she is much more than just that brand or she can be. And like, look, when we look back at her filmography, it sort of feels occasionally like, well, this is a point where her career could have gone in two directions, but I don't know if that's entirely true. And I also don't know. I also don't know why, like that's behind the scenes stuff that we will probably never learn, mm. but like sort of what I think coming out of this is I am optimistic that she's going to get the opportunity to use all of that potential. It's just, I think that Anna can, you know, our last series, we looked at Leonardo DiCaprio, who for better or worse, 
is not your average Hollywood actor. I think he's had a, he had like a meteoric rise, but also like behind the scenes, there's a lot of things that we're not necessarily privy to that worked out really well for him. He did have an agent who was able to see exactly where his career could go at specific points and, mm-hmm. you know, helped lead him on that, in that direction. With Anna Kendrick, I know it sounds like we're bashing her agent here without knowing him without knowing them half the time, but like, that's not what I want to say at all. It's like, I don't know what the behind the scenes reasons are for Anna Kendrick that she followed the tra- trajectory she did. And I don't think it's a bad trajectory necessarily. It's just that, you know, when we look back, it's easy for us as people who don't know the behind the scenes to think, well, probably this is where she could have gone somewhere else. And I think that like, she still has the potential to go in all of these directions that we, that we're pointing out for her. It's just, it's taking her, she, her, her route is different than someone like Leonardo DiCaprio or Daniel Day Lewis, or well, look at that. I'm describing famous men in Hollywood. She's (laughs) following a different trajectory than a lot of other actors, which is really only notable because the actors that are most notable to us as audience members are the ones that have that meteoric rise that have that like big story to them. And Anna Kendrick is smaller than that, but that's not a bad thing. That's actually, this is probably, I think with doing a series about Anna Kendrick, we've talked about a more, realistic acting experience than something like Leonardo DiCaprio. It's less of an immediately exciting story just looking at her filmography, but I think it might be a more real one. Yeah. Like you mentioned, it's tough to criticize. Like, obviously we're not Hollywood agents. So yeah, it's very possible that what they saw was, I could see what they were thinking in terms of she hit fame with pitch perfect they didn't know how long it was going to last, especially with, you know, actresses. A lot of their careers, unfortunately, end up fizzling out after a solid, like, once they start into their 30s, you know, just Mm -hmm. because of the way Hollywood is. Um, So they might have been like, okay, let's take as many jobs as we can. Let's really solidify your brand. Let's get you everywhere so that people know who you are. Mm -hmm. And, And that was, like, the main goal. Or they were like, let's get as many roles as possible while we can because we don't know how long this is going to last, right? So I, I understand that. But yeah, it's it's she's become more of a... I would see her as like a working actor, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That will just take a job and see it as a job rather than like kind of like an artist that's like selectively picking and doing what they want, if that makes sense, or what they're really passionate about. Well, I think part of the point that I wanted to get at is that I don't think... I would, I'd, be a he- I'd be hesitant to say that like because she's a working actress, she can't also be passionate about what she's doing. Because most of the performances, I haven't seen her, I'm, I'm, I may be being charitable because I like Anna Kendrick quite a, quite a bit as an actress, but even the worst performances that we've seen her in, like, haven't been bad. She's doing, you know, she's putting in good work. She's good at what she does. And some of the performances that she's done that haven't been you know, that weren't necessarily the worst, but also weren't her best, you can still kind of see her put in the passion for it. Like, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. 
she is very excited to be in that role, mm-hmm. whether that's her best or not. And like, it's just, there's, there's nothing wrong with being a working actor. And I think that like among working actors, it's interesting, like how kind of big a name she is without being a traditionally big name. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I guess, <laughs> criticize her for like, I, I think it's impossible to predict what could have happened. Mm-hmm. what maybe didn't happen but yeah like you said i she i don't think she's ever put in a lazy performance yeah i think it's just mostly she will pick movies where she doesn't have much of a role mm, yeah if that makes sense and she doesn't have much to do so and i i personally don't think she's good enough of an actor to really make those one scene roles or two scene roles like truly memorable right um, so you know which is you know that's fair I, I, that's a really tough thing to do mm-hmm which is understandable. Yeah, well, closing thoughts, Pierre. Anything else you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. This was this was quite the experience. This was much... <laughs> this is twice... I want to say double the movies as Leo, right? I think so. It was 39 movies in total, 40 if you count the spirit box, which, I mean, now I've talked about it, so you can, so but like... Can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's been quite quite the road. And I guess the the last thing I want to say, which is only tangentially related, this series got me really into Kendrick Lamar. He's like on my top Spotify listens for last year, and I just bought my ticket to see him in August. Wow, that's exciting! So when we come back in our follow up episode, when uh, Alice Darling comes out, I will talk about that concert too. Just because now 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 I have something that I can update people on. Yeah, yes. Thank you to the Kendricks. Yes. Make them, making them sound like a family. They're not a family, but... I would love to see them collaborate in any way, shape, or form. I have no idea cool. what that would look like. <clears throat> I could totally see, like... Actually, I, I can't see this, but <laughs> it'd be cool if Kendrick Lamar, like, casted Anna Kendrick in, like, like a, a music video or something like that. That's, like, the only way I could actually see them collaborating, like, actually. It feels like the time for it has happened and was an opportunity that was missed because like really their crossover should have been in the music video for Bad Blood by Taylor Swift. <laughs> that's where oh, it yeah, should have happened. True. Yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, I, I think uh, it's, it's interesting how different, like I, I guess they're both musically inclined. So theoretically they could have, collaborated on something but they are just so different um i think as artists that i i I don't think i can see any way that would have actually worked unless you said Mm -hmm. do like a third party maybe Um, yeah yeah it is kind of crazy that the pitch perfect series actually fully follows the path of like the kendrick lamar albums too like one in 2012 one in 2015 one in 2017 Oh damn! And then, you, it does. and then you could say that the first one was like a great start. The second one was the best one, at least in my opinion. And then the third one was, while still like the same, kind of was a lower point. If that makes sense. Maybe in Pitch Perfect Three's case, a very low point. But yeah, I was gonna say one thing you can definitely say about Pitch Perfect Three and also Damn is that they are very different from what came before. Yeah. Oh, and much more, I guess much, there were like the, the more commercial third 
third project, if that makes sense. Yeah. You could say, you could say that. So yeah. Anyways. All right. The dichotomy. Well... I think that's going to be it. We'll come back with something else next time. Thank you guys all for listening to all 28 episodes. Crazy.